Hey sickos, I'm LJ. And I'm Toe. And this is Say Psycho Right Now. Say Psycho Right Now is a true crime and paranormal podcast. Some content may be considered disturbing or graphic. This podcast also contains adult language. Listener discretion is advised. To access our socials or become a Patreon member with access to early episodes and bonus content, find us on any social media platform and consult the link tree in our bio or go to www.patreon.com slash psycho right now. You can also follow us on our socials or wherever you stream your podcasts and leave a five-star review if you're enjoying our content so we can continue to reach more people. This is a great free way to support your favorite content creators. Case suggestions or stories to share can also be sent to saypsychorightnow at gmail.com. Now let's get into today's episode. Yay! hey welcome back welcome back if you're new here welcome to the shit show today we have an episode for well obviously we have an episode that's why we're talking into these microphones Ah. uh today so if you're in our facebook community group situation thing one of the questions for entry that we have are is uh, do you have any like requests or what you'd like to see more of and one of our listeners linda holiday is that right LJ? yes that that's correct linda holiday yeah. and, and i, I want to say she probably wasn't the only one but that's the one person that we have written down here like super um, stands out because like we noted it out. and everything yeah we noted it but she along with I think a few others of you requested to hear about more female serial killers. So if you were amongst the people that want to hear about more female serial killers, we have a treat today for you. Wowza. Buckle up. We have a female serial killer today. We will be covering the case of Kristen Gilbert, otherwise known as the angel of death. 
hate her for that yeah honestly she's trash hate her but uh, doesn't sound like somebody i would want to grab a starbs with no it doesn't sound like a, a star brand but this is what you guys asked for so this is what you're gonna get Five. welcome to hell anyways uh, speaking of welcome to hell i feel like you know sometimes i listen to podcasts and the people hosting will be like having a cold today i'm sorry about my voice or whatever and i'm like girl don't apologize i'm gonna be that person right now i'm mm. sorry in advance guys like i i don't have a cold but um, those of you who are not patreon members now you know i'm with child and i'm so fucking sick i'm trying my best to be high energy and you know the show must go on vibes but i'm like schlumped in my bed next to like a baggie if that tells you anything about my life right now but we're we're gonna do this thing so just know that we're doing our best over here we're trying yeah we're trying to thrive and i've got a thunderstorm going on in the background but we're gonna make it work Uh, the magic of editing will hopefully help us with that so all right without further ado let's get into this nightmare of a case so kristen heather strickland was born on november 13th 1967 to parents richard and claudia she had one younger sister and her father worked as an electronics executive whatever that is i'm guessing like an executive of an electronics company i don't know that's just what i found and it's not your was, fault that his job title's weird. Yeah, it's not my fault that he has a weird job title. Now, her mother was a homemaker and a part-time teacher. I'm assuming, like, a substitute teacher. Now, we don't have a whole lot of information on her very early life, but what we do know that is that as she got a little bit older, maybe entering around her teenage years, people that knew her say that she had a bad habit of lying and even faked several suicide attempts as a means of sort of manipulating the people in her life. Mm. Um, One of her most notable lies that she would tell on a regular basis is that she was related to Lizzie Borden. Now, if you don't know who that is, she is- Lizzie Borden had an ex, I'm sorry. Yeah. If you're a card-carrying member of the Council of Spooky Bitches, you probably do know who (laughs) Lizzie Borden is. But uh, if you don't know who Lizzie Borden is, she was well-known for the axe murders of her father and stepmother in the 1800s. And you can still visit the Lizzie Borden house today in Fall River, Massachusetts. Morbid actually has a great episode on Lizzie Borden. If you like the historical cases, go check that out. But, you know, I thought that was a... Kind of a telltale sign of things to come in hindsight. Right. Um, it's like almost like she like low key idolized her or something. Yeah. No. Exactly. Like she thought now, it was a flex. <laughs> yeah, she thought it was a flex being related to an axe murderer, which was, you know, people yeah, probably most people like wouldn't attention to that. Right. <laughs> yeah. Now, additionally, court records indicate that she had on several occasions made violent threats towards others beginning when she was a teenager. Despite this, she did graduate high school in 1986 and went on to college at Bridgewater State College in Bridgewater, Massachusetts. Now, here it is said that she was kind of back on her bullshit with the fake suicide attempts. Mm. And as a result of that, she was ordered by school officials into psychiatric treatment. 
Now, because of all this, she would ultimately end up transferring schools twice. First to, I'm sorry if I'm saying this wrong, Mount Wachusett Community College in Gardner, Massachusetts in 1987, and subsequently to Greenfield Community College in Greenfield, Massachusetts. Now, despite all of these hurdles, self-inflicted hurdles, really, but... (laughs) Despite all of them, she did graduate with a nursing degree and she became a registered nurse in 1988. Later that same year, she married her husband, Glenn Gilbert, and together they had two children, Brian and Raymond. Now, at some point prior to finishing her degree, Gilbert did briefly work as a home health aide for the Visiting Nurse Association of Franklin County. And it was here that more red flags arose when, whilst bathing a disabled child, she allegedly scolded the child with extremely hot water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Baby. Yeah. Now, despite all of this fuckery that has gone on this far, in 1989, Gilbert began working at the VA Medical Center in Northampton, Massachusetts. Now, pretty early on, the other nurses began to notice an unusual number of deaths on Gilbert's watch, but nobody really suspected any foul play, and they even began to jokingly refer to her as the angel of death. Oh, I don't love that. Like, if it's bad enough where you're, like, giving her a freaky little nurse nickname, then it should be bad Mm -hmm. enough where you're, like taking an inventory it? and being like hmm that's yeah that's suspicious that's weird yeah that's what i'm saying hate that now i will point out that despite the increase in deaths on her watch kristen was quite well respected by her colleagues She was described as being very competent and also calm under pressure, which served her well in emergency situations such as, like, you know, codes and things like that. Right. And initially, this was actually sort of used to explain her presence at so many deaths because it was sort of assumed that the reason she was present all the time when these people were dying was because she was so skilled that she would be called upon in these in these emergencies, mm. specifically in specifically in code situations. That makes a bit more sense, yeah. at least to why there wasn't like a ton of like red flags. Right. You know what I mean? Like, but also, why did nobody know about like all the other bullshit that she did? Like, right? I, I'm just specifically. It makes me like scratch my head less about them not questioning oh no 100 because these deaths you know because the co-workers right the colleagues wouldn't have had access to any of this information now right we we can say maybe hospital administration whoever's in charge of doing the hiring should have did a little more digging but her 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 colleagues her peers the other nurses out there on the floor should not have been expected to have any knowledge of her sure right um Now, in 1994, after giving birth to her second child and returning from maternity leave, Kristen was assigned to work the night shift. And this is when she was introduced to a security guard at the hospital named James Peralt, and they became fast friends. And their friendship quickly evolved into an extramarital affair. Yeah. Grody. 
her husband was completely unaware of this affair. However, he did claim that it was around this time he noticed that Kristen started cooking more meals at home. But he also claimed that the food tasted a little funny. <sighs> and here I was thinking, like, why is there a correlation between being a home cooker and a home wrecker? Never mind. Correlation checks. Go on. This is the... This is... This is the spooky show. There's always a correlation. <laughs> God. Hate it here. No. <laughs> now, additionally, Kristen had allegedly told a friend that it was her goal to have her husband out of the house by Thanksgiving. Sure enough, on November the 5th, 1995, Glenn was rushed to the hospital after becoming severely ill. However, he was only diagnosed with low potassium and glucose and subsequently sent home. They were like, eat a banana, you'll be fine. Eat a, eat a banana. <laughs> now, apparently, it was about a week later, and Kristen tells her husband that she's not happy with the way the hospital handled his treatment, and she wanted to draw her own blood work, and that she would have it tested at the VA hospital where he, she worked. Now, if you have never lived in a house with a nurse, parent, or significant other, honestly especially like in the 90s when they were allowed to do this shit like now there's like too many you know like regulations right but this wouldn't even be weird like to have your nurse i grew up with a nurse mom and she still i'm 30 years old to this day micromanages my health care like right so i can see why glenn would not be you know alarmed at all by this yeah that checks out now glenn claims that when she went to draw his blood she had a syringe full of clear liquid that she claimed was saline to flush his veins right okay which like i don't like to victim shame but has this guy never had his blood drawn before because i mean i mean I've seen an IV flushed with saline, but not. Yeah, you know, not, but not what I will say is just in like a general benefit of the doubt type thing, right? Yeah. So I feel like you and I, we've had like health stuff going on recently, right? Mm. Where, so I feel like in our adult life, we're like more used to routine blood work. Than probably the average person is. I think a lot of people. I mean, like, do most people make it to thirty without having to have blood work every six months? Yeah, actually, <laughs> actually, like yeah, like most. Let us know in the comments. We want to take a survey. How often do you have blood work done? <laughs> Me and Toe are falling apart at the freaking seams. Like I feel like. You know, John, for example, like he just had blood work done and we've been together almost two years now. And this is the first time he's had blood work done in the entire time we've been together, like at all. So for somebody and Lord knows how long it was before that, that a woman in his life made him go to the doctor. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just feel like. I don't know. I feel like we have an atypical experience with frequency of doctor's visits and stuff. Mm, so I guess you're not wrong. I just feel like we're more inclined to be like, 
oh, hey, like, that's not how you do that. Then somebody who, like, historically doesn't really get sick much and hasn't really been to the doctor for anything since, you know, they had the chicken pox 45 years ago. I don't know. Whatever. I'm just saying, like... Let us know in the comments. Do you think that... Let us know. We want to hear your feedback on this matter. Very important. Very critical. Super important. But anyhow, so after she injected him with a syringe full of who knows what the fuck, actually, we're going to find out what the fuck later, most likely it was. Glenn lost consciousness, and when he regained consciousness, Christian allegedly told him that he had simply faded at the sight of the needle. I'm sorry, did I say faded? Fainted. Fainted. She said, not upholstery, upholstery. No, yeah. Bethesda. God, <laughs> we've had a hard word day. We just recorded Lululemon, which you guys will hear before this. Yeah, word words are are hard today. Words are hard. So, not long after all this shenanigans, Kristen reportedly told her secret lover James that she was being abused at home by her husband. Naturally, he told her to leave Glenn, and initially, this actually made Christian very angry. But eventually, she agreed that this would be the thing to do, at which point she apparently walked to a payphone. Who remembers those artifacts? Let us know if you're old like us and also remember using payphones. Called her husband and informed him that she would be leaving him. She moved out of their home on December the 1st, 1995, and left their two sons in Glenn's care. God, can we just, like, (laughs) just envisioning this taking place, it just seems like a very, like, Drew Barrymore movie outtake, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. And if you're also, like, if your husband's so abusive, why are you leaving your kids with him? Right, I have questions. Kristen. Yeah. Now, let's get into the reason why we're all here, the murders. Right. Now, as I'm sure most of you know at this point, when it comes to serial killers, I feel especially compelled to tell each and every victim's story to the best of my ability. Sure. However, in this case, that's just simply not going to be possible. It's believed that Kristen Gilbert's victims could have possibly been in the hundreds. And in a case like that, it's like literally, there are certain podcasts not saying necessarily for this case, but for yeah more prolific killers or more involved cases, where literally people will have like a podcast dedicated to this case and just like go, you know what I mean? Like because a case is so expansive, yeah, it sounds like in order to cover this at that type of length, we would literally have to do like. The Kristen Gilbert podcast. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And there's a lot of victims that we just don't know about. Sure. Yeah, when the numbers. Yeah. So we will, we'll really never know how many lives she ultimately took. So in this case, what I'm going to do is go over the victims that she was ultimately able to be charged and convicted for. Right. And in this case, there are four of them. Now, remember, this is a VA hospital, so all of these victims were patients at the VA hospital. They're all veterans. The first victim that we know of was Stanley Jagodowski. He was 66 years old. He was a truck driver and a Korean War veteran. Okay. He was admitted to the hospital in late July of 1995 due to a post-operative bowel obstruction. 
Hmm. Now, Stanley did have some history of heart issues. However, his doctor was quite pleased with his progress. And on August 21st, his doctor recommended that he be moved to a hospital home unit the following day. I'm not sure what that is. Again, that's just what the research said. Every source that I could find, that's what they called it. I don't know if that's like home care or like what. Right. It sounds like probably some type of like home health, but not yeah. like not hospice, but like something in between, you know? Yeah, like yeah, like home care. Yeah. So now at 8 43 p.m., two nurses went in to check on Mr. Jagodowski and found him to be well. Shortly after that, Kristen enters the room. She's carrying a syringe full of quote saline to flush his IV line. She said, quote. Yeah, I mean, does this story sound familiar? Saline for real or for fake? Mm, uh, find out soon. Stan- Stanley subsequently went into cardiac arrest and ultimately died a few hours later. Now, although yeah. he had been perfectly fine just moments before, his history of heart problems masked any suspicion of foul play and an oh. autopsy was never performed. And of course, he's like already super sick from complications. So like not outside of the scope of possibility that something could have taken a turn. Very easy for that to get like, you know, for that to slide under the radar, I guess. Absolutely. His cause of death was listed as natural causes on the autopsy, Mm -hmm. on his death. I'm sorry, not autopsy because an autopsy was never performed, but uh, on his death certificate. Right. The next victim that we know of was Henry Houdin, a 35-year-old Air Force veteran. In December of 1995, he was admitted to the hospital with vomiting and diarrhea. Uh, Upon examination, it was noted in his chart that his cardiovascular system was checked and showed no signs of any issues there. Right. Um, Now, Henry was a regular patient here at the VA hospital. While stationed in England, Henry had found himself trying to break up a fight at a local pizza place. And in this attempt, he unfortunately sustained some pretty serious injuries. He suffered a detached retina and damage to, yeah, and damage to his frontal lobe. And he was in a coma for three weeks. His sister for the involuntary squawk, but detached retina just horrified me. Horrifying, right? And like in a little squabble, like a little fist fight, like right, like his eyeballs just be popping out willy nilly like a pug. Yeah, I hate it. Jesus Christ, (laughs) not the pug. Okay, I can say that because my pug lost an eye. Similarly, not enough pizza fight but you know just with ease so okay anyway when did you have an eyeless pug i'm not even gonna um, touch on that. it was my childhood dog long story anyway his name was big al named after my preschool crush i hate every second of this okay uh, go on so <laughs> his sister went on to explain that when he awoke from his coma he wasn't at all the same as before and he was quickly diagnosed with schizophrenia now henry was pretty well used to the psychiatric ward at the hospital but this time he was placed in ward c which was the ward Kristen gilbert worked mm-hmm. on before they left him his family claims that he begged and pleaded with them not to leave him and that people there were dying for no reason 
His family, unfortunately, just assumed that this was one of his delusions. And just about an hour after his family left the hospital, Henry went into cardiac arrest. That is so freaking sad. And so hard for the family because when somebody is suffering from that type of mental illness, you are going to be routinely dealing with things like, you know, paranoid paranoid delusions and stuff like that how could you possibly differentiate and know you know what i mean couldn't but at the same time you're gonna be living with the guilt for the rest of your life even though there was nothing it's just heartbreaking yeah yeah and it's not like the hospital is gonna advertise that like oh by the way just so you know like we're moving him here people have been dropping dead it's a little weird but don't worry about it like you're totally fine you know like obviously they aren't gonna like just toss that on your like check-in paper (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, no, no. no, there's no way they could know. It's just so sad to hear that. Yeah. So he went into cardiac arrest for the first time, like I said, just about an hour after his family left the hospital. And he subsequently suffered three more heart attacks and ultimately uh, died around 10 p.m. that same mm, evening. So sad. The autopsy listed Henry's cause of death as undetermined. Which, like, Which try is, harder. Like, Try a little bit hard. I mean, he's 35 years yeah, old. Yeah, that's not, like, prime. You know, I could, like, I, could, I could see why they explained away the first guy, right? Sure. I, that, but, that makes more sense to me, you know? I mean... I know we've got a 35-year-old man. This who, man is... He's mentally unwell, but physically he's in good health. Right. You know, so... Like, there's no... No, expect me if I'm wrong, but no correlation between schizophrenia and cardiac arrest. Like, come on. Not to the best of my knowledge. Right. Uh, Again, we're not medical professionals, so. But I would say it's just just statistically not not super likely, I would think. Right. Don't don't sue us if you're schizophrenic and have a heart attack. Right. Um, (laughs) See a doctor if your heart's feeling extra ticky. (laughs) Or unticky. Or unticky or... Anything outside of normal ticky. Typical. Like if your if your heart's doing that, like Tim Allen, Santa Claus, Jingle Bells thump. (laughs) If you have a Jingle Bells arrhythmia, see someone, okay? Okay. Our third victim in this case is Kenneth Cutting, a forty one year old army veteran. Kenneth was blind and suffered from multiple sclerosis and he did have a DNR. Now, on February 2nd, 1996, Kristen made a particularly unusual and disturbing request to her supervisor. And she asked if the one, she's like, if the one patient on her ward were to pass away, would she be able to go home? Bro! girly girl was like my tivo isn't working and the bachelor's coming on so i'm just just wondering like like what if if? can i go home just hypothetically Mm. hypothetically hypothetically. so the patient on the day in question was none other than mr kenneth cutting who passed away from a heart attack just about 40 minutes after this conversation between Kristen and her supervisor took place. Girly wasn't even discreet. Not at all. What the heck? Talk about getting way too comfortable. Wow. Um, 
Kristen left for the day shortly thereafter and went to go meet up with her lover boy for a date. Nothing sets the mood like a homicide. Don't fashion murder. Yeah. This woman is fucking sick, you guys. It's deplorable. Um, I don't know. I just picture these sweet little... I mean, actually, a lot of these guys were not even very old. Right. Only two of them were, like, in their 60s. But, like, I'm sure there were a lot more victims that were, like, you know your sweet little world war ii veteran grandpa like that's what i think of right when i think of like her typical demographic of victims and it's just like god what the hell psycho fucking lady why you gotta be like that i don't know i hate her so now a little later this same month of february 1996 three of Kristen's co-workers John Wall, Kathy Ricks, and Renee Walsh decided amongst themselves that the number of heart attacks happening on Kristen's watch had become entirely too high to ignore. Do you think? Like, this this is the point? Just feels to me like maybe we should have been questioning this sooner, but okay. Yeah, I mean, points for doing something, I guess, but... Ultimately, they did decide to come forward and say something, and an investigation ensued, and many staff members had their suspicions about Kristen, but unfortunately, nobody really had any concrete evidence. Right. Just like, it's not a good vibe, but I don't know. However, this would soon change because the very day after she was reported, our fourth victim enters the chat. Edward Squira was a 68-year-old World War II veteran. He was admitted to the hospital on February 15, 1996, for chronic alcoholism. He had been transferred from an inpatient treatment facility and found himself on none other than Ward C, where Kristen worked. Oh, C for crisis. (laughs) C for a lot of things. C for cunt bag murdering bitch um that was specific yeah um that same day he suffered a heart attack and subsequently died three days later his cause of death was listed as a dissecting aneurysm and no autopsy was performed once again okay so real quick we know that one i an observant bitch okay and two i'm drugged into oblivion just to get through my days right now so Mm -hmm. please correct me if i'm wrong on this but is this specifically is is unit c just a a psych ward like is that like exclusively a psych so no it's not a psych ward actually it is an intensive care unit ward gotcha okay the reason why i was asking was just because like if it was psych right like if if it's specifically like psych specific my brain was going to like well wait why are we like literally just making a fuss about cardio deaths because to me it seems like that would be like statistically improbable to have like so many cardio deaths on a psych ward yeah for like in a condensed period of time yeah no it was a it was an icu ward which again is probably another reason why she got away with it for as long as she did yeah that makes more sense now psych at least for sure okay now as i previously stated the staff had their suspicions about what Kristen was up to but they needed proof 
and they were just about to get a break because around the time of the fourth victim, Edward's death, it was discovered by hospital staff that three vials of epinephrine were missing from their supply. Wow, now, sounds a lot like a concern. Yeah, now epinephrine can cause cardiac arrest if it is given in a large enough dose. Mm. Now, at this point, the investigation, which it started out internally, and when I say internally, do keep in mind this is a VA hospital, so it is run by the federal government. So, you know, this is federal property, so internal, but still the feds. But at this point, the investigation has been handed over to the state police and all staff members at this point have been interviewed and the death rates on shifts that Kristen was working versus the shift that she wasn't working were compared. It was found that the death rates on her watch were around triple that of other shifts. Meanwhile, Kristen was aware of this ongoing investigation and she ever so conveniently took medical leave from the hospital claiming to have injured her shoulder on the job. Her lover, James, believed Kristen to be innocent and was providing her with regular updates on the investigation. On March 8, 1996, Kristen was interviewed, and she, of course, claimed in this interview that the high number of deaths was a mere coincidence, and she even claimed that the numbers actually looked worse because she was so good at running codes that her colleagues would come looking for her whenever there was an emergency. The investigation continued, and as this was going on, Kristen's relationship with her lover became strained, although at this point, he still wasn't aware of what she had done. He still believed her to be innocent. Right. In June of 96, James attempted to end their affair, and Kristen subsequently checked herself into a psychiatric facility. During the preceding weeks, Kristen would find herself in and out of several psychiatric facilities for a few days at a time and it was during one of her stays that she finally confessed her crimes to james james immediately took this information to the police and it took a small amount of god i'm so sorry yeah you hear so often where confessions made and nobody like does anything it's just like yeah good job doing your personal job james like suck yeah way to not suck i'm a little brainwashed in the beginning but like you know it's easy to be manipulated when you have feelings for somebody and when you found sure. out the truth you did the right thing mm-hmm. and i, I think, think it's so to easy to like especially like when you know somebody and you're hearing something like quote-unquote outlandish right yeah like you know like if somebody told well, me the idea that you've been banging a murderer for like a year is an outlandish idea oh for whether sure. it's like whether a- it's true or not like if somebody came to me and said hey toe your fuck toy killed like 200 people i'd be like no he didn't he didn't kill yeah me. like what no and like i mean john and i have been together for quite some time like having his freaking baby you know what i mean like if we found out that there was like you know a serial killer situation in ocala and they released a police sketch of like john himself and you sent it to me i would be like oh well no he has soft hands like you've got this wrong (laughs) like literally (laughs) like no so like i i i get 
being in favor of your person like not immediately being like oh my god like for sure they're definitely like a murderer like that you're yeah most I mean, people that's not gonna be your automatic it's you're normal. not just gonna yeah 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 totally a good job going to the police yeah this. good job good job doing your person job so yeah he did immediately take it the information to the police and it took a small amount of coaxing but they were able to pretty quickly get him to agree to testify in front of a grand jury. Right. Um, on the day he was set to do so, Kristen showed up to his home and attempted to block him in his driveway. When she was unsuccessful at preventing him from going, she followed him there and slashed his tires. Now, when Kristen's now ex-husband, remember who she also tried to poison, caught wind of the investigation, he asked police to search his home. And more specifically, he asked them to search a cabinet inside of his home that Kristen had left behind when she moved out. Mm-hmm. Inside the cabinet, police found a book titled The Handbook of Poison with pages about epinephrine marked. Wild. Interesting. Now, Kristen made several more attempts to derail the investigation, including hiring her own private investigator to find out what i'm not exactly sure i don't know what her end game was in hiring this pi but it's a thing that she did like um, accidentally caught myself in the act like what the fuck okay yeah I, I i i don't know what she was trying to achieve there she also lashed out at pretty much ever anybody she perceived to be a threat to her freedom at that point including her ex-husband and mm-hmm. ex-lover boy and former colleagues um right. In September of 96, Kristen went to her local Toys R Us, which, nostalgia, Toys R Us. R.I.P. Toys R Us. Love that so much. God, the the kids will never know. And I hate that for them. God, I have such fond memories of Toys R Us. Me too. And it just, like, makes me sad that we can't take the children there. Anyways, she went to her local Toys R Us and purchased a toy called a Talk Girl Junior. And I guess this was a toy was a voice recorder that had the ability to change your voice. Um, so using good old star 67, she disguised her phone number and called her now ex-husband and left a message on his answering machine saying, quote, I just want to say goodbye for the last time. Goodbye. End quote. Bro, I'm so over her. Literally. She's a nut. So later the same day, she called the security desk at the VA hospital where James worked and he was working that day and she made a bomb threat. She stated during the phone call that her motive was justice for veterans of the Persian Gulf War who had been exposed to chemical weapons. Seems legit. Yeah. She claimed that there were three bombs in the building and that they had two hours to evacuate the hospital. The hospital was, of course, evacuated, but nothing was ultimately found. Now, this, this jackass doesn't stop here. Now, she continues making a myriad of threatening phone calls to the hospital, to James, and eventually police kind of start to catch on. So an investigator is tasked with staking out her apartment. And sure enough, Kristen walked to a payphone and placed a call to James Peralt. After which the investigator was able to lift her index fingerprint off of the phone 
And this gave police sufficient grounds to search Kristen's apartment where they found her fun little talkie toy. And she was indicted for phoning in the bomb threat, which is a federal offense. This is a federal building. Thought she was slick, but she wasn't even. Yeah, she wasn't even. She would ultimately be sentenced to 15 months imprisonment for that offense in 1998. But the good news is at this point, you know, she's locked up. So they have, you know, and we see this tactic used in a lot of cases where, you know, they're like, okay, we're just going to lock you up for something so that we can keep you from doing more murdering while we investigate the the murder stuff. Right. Yeah. Investigate the murder that we know you already did, but we can't prove because you thought you were slick. Now, while Kristen, so while she sat awaiting trial for the bomb threat, the murder investigation continued. And this included the exhumation of the bodies of edward squire and kenneth cutting and stanley jagodowski to be tested for the presence of epinephrine investigators also interviewed victims families and finally on november 20th 2000 kristen's long-awaited murder trial began Over 70 witnesses testified and over 200 pieces of evidence were introduced. Both James and Glenn testified against her and the prosecution argued that Kristen enjoyed creating emergency situations in an effort to show how competent of a nurse she was and possibly even to impress her boyfriend. It was also revealed that between August of 1995 and February of 1995, 135 vials of epinephrine were used in ward c and of those vials hospital records indicate that 88 88 of them could not be (gasps) i was gonna ask what a shitty ratio that is that sure is a ratio and it sure is shitty so Kristen's defense team attempted to argue that there was no direct evidence linking Kristen to these deaths and that the hospital's record keeping was subpar and those bottles of epinephrine could have simply been expired and therefore disposed of. Now, I will say they do have one thing, right? I think their record keeping is subpar if 88 bottles of a potentially lethal substance can go missing and nobody noticed for a whole year. That's a problem. At the bare minimum, it's a problem. I will give... I don't know if this was standard practice in the 90s. I I know, just from what I know, having a lot of friends and family in the medical field, I know that that would not fly today. Absolutely Uh, not. That would be caught yesterday. Yesterday, yeah. So, but I digress. So, despite the compelling argument, um, insert eye roll here, on March 14th, 2001 Kristen gilbert was found guilty on three counts of first degree murder one count of second degree murder for the four victims that we discussed earlier and two additional counts of attempted murder although once again it's estimated that her victims could have been in the hundreds she was also acquitted of an additional attempted murder charge um which really was busy yeah at least she's at least she's going away so that's the good news 
Now, although Massachusetts had abolished the death penalty 15 years prior to this conviction in 1984, these crimes did occur on federal property, so the jury could have sentenced Kristen to death. However, the jury could not unanimously agree to the death penalty, and ultimately, on March 27, 2001, Kristen was sentenced to four consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole, plus an additional 20 years. She is currently serving her sentence in a federal prison in Carswell, Texas. Kristen did have plans to appeal initially. However, she dropped her appeal due to the possibility of the death penalty being put back on the table. Honestly, if she had the nerve to appeal it, I would have been like, "Mm, yeah, no, because you appealed it. Actually, I'm going to kill you. So that was probably a good move on her part. Yeah, it's probably a smart, like, probably the best choice she's ever made, honestly. Honestly, like, the only good one. The only good. So that's the story of Kristen Gilbert, female serial killer extraordinaire. You guys asked for it. You got it. Hate her SM. Hate her SM. Um, so, yeah, if you, I hate to say enjoy this, but... If you feel like by the loosest to... definition, if you took by the loosest definition, if you enjoyed this content, if you feel like you might want to hear more fucked up shit, give us you know a follow, like, subscribe, whatever the thing is to do on whatever platform you're listening on. Super duper need five star reviews. That's what gets us viewed. So that, like, other people hear us. And the more that people hear us, the more that we have options to get, like, paid ads and stuff, right? Then we don't rely on, like, Patreon subscriptions and whatever to pay the bills. Like, other people are paying them for us and for you so we can just keep bringing Exactly. Which is our goal. Because this does cost uh, money to... Believe it or not, podcasts have bills. We have a lot of that. Right. And we also work full time as well. And it's very time consuming to outline and record everything by ourselves, research, all of that. But we love you guys and we love doing this. Yeah. And if you are interested in bonus content, if you can't get enough of LJ and Toe shenanigans, you can check out our Patreon, which we are currently offering a one week free trial on. Yes. Smash that button smash it smash it baby okay and i think the next episode you will be hearing is dun 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 abby Choi, hong kong socialite hosted by our dearest lj god that's such a wild case i'm just throwing that out there now hmm sounds like a party so be sure to tune in next week for that And we will see you then. Can't wait. Bye. Toodaloo.